Chapter Four of the Pit Prop Syndicate by Freeman Wills Crofts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four, A Commercial Proposition. Merriman was roused next morning by the feeling rather than the sound of stealthy movements going on not far away. He had not speedily slept after turning in. The novelty of his position, as well as the cramped and somewhat knobby bed made by the locker and the smell of oils, had made him restless but most of all the conversation he had had with hilliard had banished sleep and he had lain thinking over the adventure to which they had committed themselves and listening to the little murmurings and gurglings of the water running past the piles and lapping on the woodwork beside his head the launch kept slightly on the move swinging a little backwards and forwards in the current as it alternately tightened and slackened its mooring ropes and occasionally quivering gently as it touched the wharf Three separate times Merriman had heard the hour chimed by the city clocks, and then at last a delightful drowsiness crept over him, and consciousness had gradually slipped away. But immediately the shuffling had begun, and with a feeling of injury he roused himself to learn the cause. Opening in his eyes, he found the cabin was full of light from the dancing reflections of sunlit waves on the ceiling, and that Hilliard, dressing on the opposite locker, was the author of the sounds which had disturbed him. Good! cried the latter cheerily you're awake quarter to five and a fine day couldn't be merriman returned stretching himself luxuriously i heard it strike two not ten seconds ago hilliard laughed well it's time we were under way anyhow he declared tides running out this hour we'll get a fine lift down to the sea merriman got up and peeped out of the porthole above his locker i suppose you tub over the side he inquired lord what sunlight rather but i vote we wait an hour or so until we're clear of the town i fancy the water will be more inviting lower down we could stop and have a swim and then we should be ready for breakfast right o you get way honor or whatever you do and i shall have a shot at clearing up some of the mess you keep here hilliard left the cabin and presently a racketing sound and vibration announced that the engines had been started this presently subsided into a not unpleasing hum after which a hail came from a forward lend a hand to cast off like a stout fellow merriman hurriedly completed his dressing and went on deck stopping in spite of himself to look around before attending to the ropes the sun was low down over the opposite bank and transformed the whole river down to the railway bridge into a sheet of blinding light only the southern end of the great structure was visible stretching out of the radiance as well as the houses on the western bank but these showed out with incredible sharpness in high lights and dark shadows from where they were lying they could not see the great curve of the quays and the town in spite of the brilliancy of the atmosphere looked drab and unattractive going to be hot hilliard remarked the bow first if you don't mind he started the screw and kept the launch alongside the wharf while merriman cast off first the bow and then the stern ropes then steering out towards the middle of the river he swung round and they began to slip rapidly downstream with the current after passing beneath the huge mass of the railway bridge they got a better view of the city its rather unimposing buildings clustering on the great curve of the river to the left and with the fine stone bridge over which they had driven on the previous evening stretching across from bank to bank in front of them slipping through one of its seventeen arches they passed the long lines of quays with their attendant shipping until gradually the houses got thinner and they reached the country beyond about two dozen miles below the town hilliard shut off the engines and when the launch had come to rest on the swift current they had a glorious dip 
in turn then the odor of hot ham mingled in the cabin with those of paraffin and burned petrol and they had an even more glorious breakfast finally the engines were restarted and they pressed steadily down the ever-widening estuary about nine they got their first glimpse of the sea horizon and shortly after a slight heave gave merriman a foretaste of what he must soon expect the sea was like a mill-pond but as they came out from behind the point de grave they began to feel the effect of the long slow ocean swell as soon as he dared hilliard turned southwards along the coast this brought the swells abeam but so large were they in relation to the launch that she hardly rolled but was raised and lowered bodily on an almost even keel though merriman was not actually ill he was acutely unhappy and experienced a thrill of thanksgiving when about five o'clock they swung round east and entered the estuary of the lesk must go slowly here hilliard explained as the banks began to draw together there's no sailing chart of this river and we shall have to feel our way up for some two miles they passed through a belt of sand dunes great yellow hillocks shaded with dark green where grasses had seized a precarious foothold behind these the country grew flatter and small blighted looking shrubs began to appear all leaning eastwards in witness of the devastating winds which blew in from the sea farther on these gave place to stunted trees and by the time they had gone ten or twelve miles they were in the pine forest presently they passed under a girder bridge carrying the railway from bordeaux to bayonne and the south we can't be far from the mill now said hilliard a little later i reckoned it must be about three miles above the railway they were creeping very slowly against the current the engines running easily were making only a subdued murmur inaudible at any considerable distance the stream here was narrow not more than about a hundred yards across and the tall straight-stemmed pines grew down to the water's edge on either side already though it was only seven o'clock it was growing dusk in the narrow channel and hilliard was beginning to consider the question of moorings for the night we'll go round that next bend he decided and look for a place to anchor some five minutes later they steered close in against a rapidly shelving bit of bank and silently lowered the anchor some twenty feet from the margin jove i'm glad to have that anchor down hilliard remarked stretching himself here's eight o'clock and we've been at it since five this morning let's have supper and a pipe and then we'll discuss our plans and what are your plans merriman asked when an hour later they were lying on their lockers hilliard with his pipe and merriman with a cigar Tomorrow I thought of going up in the collapsible boat until I came to the works, then landing on the other bank and watching what goes on at the mill. I thought of taking my glass and keeping cover myself. After what you said last night, you probably won't care to come, and I was going to suggest that if you cared to fish, you would find everything you wanted in that forward locker. In the evening we could meet here, and I would tell you if I saw anything interesting. Merriman took his cigar from his lips and sat up on the locker look here old man he said i'm sorry i was a bit ratty last night i don't know what came over me i've been thinking of what you said and i agree that your view is the right one i've decided that if you'll have me i'm in this thing till we're both satisfied there's nothing going to hurt either miss coburn or our own country hilliard sprang to his feet and held out his hand cheers he cried i'm jolly glad you feel that way that's all i want to do too but i can't pretend my motives are altogether disinterested just think of the kudos for both of us if there should be something i shouldn't build too much on it i'm not but there is always the possibility 
next morning the two friends got out the collapsible boat locked up the launch and paddling gently up the river until the galvanized gable of the coburn's house came in sight through the trees went ashore on the opposite bank the boat they took to pieces and hid under a fallen trunk then screened by the trees they continued their way on foot it was still not much after seven another exquisitely clear morning giving promise of more heat the wood was silent though there was a faint stir of life all around them the hum of invisible insects the distant singing of birds as well as the murmur of the flowing water their footsteps fell soft on the carpet of scant grass and decaying pine needles there seemed a hush over everything as if they were wandering amid the pillars of some vast cathedral with instead of incense the aromatic smell of the pines in their nostrils they walked on repressing the desire to step on tiptoe until through the trees they could see across the river the galvanized iron of the shed a little bit higher upstream the clearing of the trees had allowed some stunted shrubs to cluster on the river bank these appearing to offer good cover the two men crawled forward and took up a position in their shelter the bank they were on was at that point slightly higher than on the opposite side giving them an excellent view of the wharf and mill as well as of the clearing generally the ground as has already been stated was in the shape of a d the river bounding the straight side about halfway up this straight side was the mill and about halfway between it and the top were the shrubs behind which the watchers were seated at the opposite side of the mill from the shrubs at the bottom of the d pillar the coburn's house stood on a little knoll jolly good observation post this hilliard remarked as he stretched himself at ease and laid his glass on the ground beside him they'll not do much that we shall miss from here there doesn't seem to be much to miss at present merriman answered looking idly over the deserted space about a quarter to eight a man appeared where the lane from the road debouched into the clearing he walked towards the shed to disappear presently behind it almost immediately blue smoke began issuing from the metal chimney in the shed roof it was evident he had come before the others to get up steam in about half an hour those others arrived about fifteen men in all a rough-looking lot in laborers kit they also vanished behind the shed but most of them reappeared almost immediately laden with tools and separating into groups moved off to the edge of the clearing soon work was in full swing trees were being cut down by one gang the branches lopped off fallen trunks by another while a third was loading up and running the stripped stems along a doakville railway to the shed almost incessantly the thin screech of the saws rose penetratingly above the grounds of hacking and chopping and the calls of men there doesn't seem to be much wrong here merriman said when they had surveyed the scene for nearly an hour no hilliard agreed and there didn't seem to be much wrong when i inspected the place on sunday but there can't be anything obviously wrong if there is anything in the nature of things it won't be easy to find about nine o'clock mr coburn dressed in gray flannel emerged from his house and crossed the grass to the mill he remained there a few minutes then they saw him walking to the workers at the forest edge he spent some moments with each gang afterwards returning to his house for nearly an hour things went on as before and then mr coburn reappeared at his hall door this time accompanied by his daughter both were dressed extraordinarily well for such a backwater of civilization he with a gay homburg hat and gloves she as before in brown but in a well-cut coat and skirt and a smart toque and motoring veil both were carrying dust coats mr coburn drew the door too and they walked towards the mill and were lost to sight behind it some minutes passed and between the screaming of the saws the sound of a motor engine became audible 
after a further delay a ford car came out from behind the shed and moved slowly over the uneven sward towards the lane in the car were mr and miss coburn and a chauffeur hilliard had been following every motion through his glasses and he now thrust the instrument into his companion's hand crying softly look merriman is that the lorry driver you saw merriman focused the glass on the chauffeur and recognized him instantly it was the same dark aquiline featured man who had stared at him so resentfully on the occasion of his first visit to the mill some two months earlier by jove what an extraordinary stroke of luck hilliard went on eagerly all three of them that know you out of the way we can go down to the place now and ask for mr coburn and maybe we shall have a chance to see inside that shed let's go at once before they come back they crawled away from their point of vantage into the wood and retracing their steps to the boat put it together and carried it to the river then rowing upstream they reached the end of the wharf where a flight of wooden steps came down into the stream here they went ashore after making the painter fast to the woodwork the front of the wharf they had seen from the boat was roughly though strongly made at the actual edge there was a row of almost vertical piles pine trees driven unsquared behind these was a second row inclined inwards the feet of both rows seemed to be pretty much in the same line but the tops of the raking row were about six feet behind the others the arrangement seen from the side being like a v of which one leg is vertical these tops were connected by beams supporting a timber floor behind the raking piles rough tree stems had been laid on top of each other horizontally to hold back the earth filled between them the front was about a hundred feet long and was set some thirty feet out in the river parallel to the front and about fifty feet behind it was the wall of the shed it was pierced by four doors all of which were closed but out of each of which ran a line of narrow gauge railway these lines were continued to the front of the wharf and there connected up by turntables to a cross line evidently with the idea that a continuous service of loaded trucks could be sent out of one door discharged and returned as empties through another stacks of pit props stood ready for loading between the lines seems a sound arrangement hilliard commented as they made their inspection quite anything i noticed before struck me as being efficient when they had seen all that the wharf appeared to offer they walked round to the end of the shed at the back were a number of doors and through these also narrow gauge lines were laid which connected with those radiating to the edge of the clearing everywhere between the lines were stacks of pit props as well as blocks and cuttings three or four of the doors were open and in front of one of them talking to someone in the building stood a man presently he turned and saw them immediately they advanced and hilliard accosted him good morning we are looking for mr coburn is he about no monsieur the man answered civilly he has gone into bordeaux he won't be back until the afternoon that is unfortunate for us hilliard returned conversationally my friend and i were passing up the river on our launch and we had hoped to have seen him however we shall get a hold of him later this is a fine works you have got here the man smiled he seemed a superior type to the others and was evidently a foreman not so bad monsieur we have four saws but only two are running today he pointed to the door behind him as he spoke and the two friends passed in as if to have an idle look around the interior was fitted up like that of any other sawmill but the same element of design and efficiency seemed apparent here as elsewhere the foreman explained the process the lopped trunks from the wood came in by one of two roads to a large door in the center of the building outside each road was a saw its axle running parallel to the roads 
the logs were caught in grabs slung on to the table of the saws and moving automatically all the time were cut into lengths of from seven to ten feet the pieces passed for props were dumped onto a conveyor which ran them out of the shed to be stacked for seasoning and export the rejected pieces by means of another conveyor moved to the third and fourth saws where they were cut into blocks for firewood being finally delivered into two large bins ready for loading onto the lorries the friends exhibited sufficient non-technical interest to manage to spend a good deal of time over their survey drawing out the foreman in conversation and seeing as much as they could at one end of the shed was the boiler house and engine room at the other the office with between it and the mill proper a spacious garage in which so they were told the six lorries belonging to the syndicate were housed three machines were there two lying up empty the third with the engine running and loaded with blocks being ready to start they would have liked to examine the number plate but in the presence of the foreman it was hardly possible finally they walked across the clearing to where felling and lopping was in progress and inspected the operations when they left shortly after with a promise to return to meet mr coburn there was not much about the place they had missed that business is just as right as rain merriman declared when they were once more in the boat and that foreman's all right too i'd sake my life he wasn't hiding anything he's not clever enough for one thing so i think too hilliard admitted and yet what about the game with the number plates what's the idea of that i don't know but all the same i'll take my oath there's nothing wrong about the timber trade it's no go hilliard let's drop chasing wild geese and get along with our trip i feel very like it the other replied as he sucked moodily at his pipe we'll watch for another day or so and if we see nothing suspicious we can clear out but that very evening an incident occurred which though trifling revived all their suspicions and threw them at once again into a sea of doubt believing that the coburns would by that time have returned they left the launch about five o'clock to call reaching the edge of the clearing almost directly behind the house they passed round the ladder and rang the door was opened by miss coburn herself it happened that the sun was shining directly in her eyes and she could not therefore see her visitors features you are the gentleman who wished to see mr coburn i presume she said before merriman could speak he is at the works you will find him in his office merriman stepped forward his cap off don't you remember me miss coburn he asked earnestly i had the pleasure of meeting you in may when you were so kind as to give me petrol to get me to bordeaux miss coburn looked at him more carefully and her manner which had up to then been polite but coolly self-contained suddenly changed her face grew dead white and she put her hand sharply to her side as though to check the rapid beating of her heart for a moment she seemed unable to speak then recovering herself with a visible effort she answered in a voice that trembled in spite of herself mr merriman isn't it of course i remember won't you come in my father will be back directly she was rapidly gaining self-control and by the time merriman had presented hilliard her manner had become almost normal she led the way to a comfortably furnished sitting-room looking out over the river hilliard and i are on a motor launch tour across france merriman went on he worked from england down the course to bordeaux where i joined him and we hope eventually to cross the country to the mediterranean and do the riviera from the sea how perfectly delightful miss coburn replied i envy you yes it's very jolly doing these rivers and canals hilliard interposed i have spent two or three holidays that way now and it has always been worth while as they chatted on in the pleasant room the girl seemed completely to have recovered her composure 
and yet merriman could not but realize a constraint in her manner and a look of anxiety in her clear brown eyes that something was disturbing her there could be no doubt and that something appeared to be not unconnected with himself but he reasoned there was nothing connected with himself that could cause her anxiety unless it really was that matter of the number plates he became conscious of an almost overwhelming desire to share her trouble whatever it might be to let her understand that so far from willingly causing a shadow to fall across her path there were few things he would not do to give her pleasure indeed he began to long to take her in his arms to comfort her presently a step in the hall announced mr coburn's return in here daddy his daughter called and the steps approached the door whether by accident or design it happened that miss coburn was seated directly opposite the door while her two visitors were placed where they were screened by the door itself from the view of anyone entering hilliard his eyes on the girl's face as her father came in intercepted a glance of what seemed to be warning his gaze swung round to the newcomer and here again he noticed a start of surprise and anxiety as mr coburn recognized his visitor but in this case it was so quickly over that had he not been watching intensely he would have missed it however slight though it was it undoubtedly seemed to confirm the other indications which pointed to the existence of some secret in the life of these two a secret shared apparently by the good-looking driver and connected in some way with the lorry number plates mr coburn was very polite suave and polished as an accomplished man of the world but his manner was not really friendly in fact hilliard seemed to sense a veiled hostility a few deft questions put him in possession of the traveller's ostensible plans which he discussed with some interest but he said to hilliard i am afraid you are in error coming up this river lesk the canal you want to get from here is the midi it enters the mediterranean not far from narbonne but the connection from this side is from the garonne you should have gone upstream to langon nearly forty miles above bordeaux we had hoped to go from still farther south hilliard answered we have penetrated a good many of the rivers or rather i have and we came up here to see the sand dunes and forests of the lands which are new to me a very desolate country is it not mr coburn agreed continuing courteously i am glad at all events that your researches have brought you into our neighborhood we do not come across many visitors here and it is pleasant occasionally to speak one's own language to someone outside one's household if you will put up with potluck i am sure we should both be glad he looked at his daughter if you would wait and take some dinner with us now to-morrow you could explore the woods which are really worth seeing though monotonous and if you are at all interested i should like to show you our little works but i warn you the affair is my hobby as well as my business for the time being and i am apt to assume others have as great an interest in it as myself you must not let me bore you hilliard suspicious and critically observant wondered if he had not interrupted a second rapid look between father and daughter he could not be sure but at all events the girl hastened to second her father's invitation i hope you will wait for dinner she said as he says we see so few people particularly so few english that it would be doing us a kindness i'm afraid that's not very complimentary she laughed brightly but it's at least true they stayed and enjoyed themselves mr coburn proved himself an entertaining host and his conversation though satirical was worth listening to he and hilliard talked while merriman who was something of a musician tried over songs with miss coburn had it not been for an uneasy feeling that they were to some extent playing the part of spies the evening would have been a delight to the visitors 
Before they left for the launch, it was arranged that they should stay over the following day, lunch with the Coburns, and go for a tramp through the forest in the afternoon. They took their leave with cordial expressions of goodwill. "'I say, Merriman,' Hilliard said eagerly as they strolled back through the wood, "'did you notice how your sudden appearance upset them both? There can be no further doubt about it. There is something. What it may be, I don't know, but there is something.' "'There's nothing wrong at all events,' Merriman asserted doggedly. "'Not wrong in the sense you mean, no,' Hilliard agreed, quickly. "'But wrong for all that. Now that I have met Miss Coburn, I can see that your estimate of her was correct.' But anyone with half an eye could see also that she is frightened and upset about something. There's something wrong, and she wants a helping hand. "'Damn you, Hilliard, how you talk!' Merriman growled with a sudden wave of unreasoning rage. "'There's nothing wrong and no need for our meddling. Let us clear out and go on with our trip.' Hilliard smiled under the cover of darkness. "'And miss our lunch and excursion with the Coburns tomorrow? he asked maliciously. "'You know well enough what I mean.' Merriman answered irritably. Let's drop this childish tomfoolery about plots and mysteries and try to get reasonably sane again. Here, he went on fiercely as the other demurred. I'll tell you what I'll do if you like. I'll have no more suspicions or spying, but I'll ask her if there's anything wrong. Say I thought there was from her manner and ask her the direct question. Will that please you? and get well snubbed for your pains hilliard returned you've tried that once already why did you not persist in your inquiries about the number plate when she told you about the driver's shell shock merriman was silent for a few moments and then burst out well hang it all man what do you suggest during the evening an idea had occurred to hilliard and he returned to it now i'll tell you he answered slowly and instinctively he lowered his voice i'll tell you what we must do we must see their steamer loaded. I've been thinking it over. We must see what, if anything, goes on board that boat beside pit props. Merriman only grunted in reply, but Hilliard, realizing his condition, was satisfied. And Merriman, lying awake that night on the port locker of the Swallow, began himself to realize his condition, and to understand that his whole future life and happiness lay between the dainty hands of Madeline Coburn. End of chapter 4